And on the way there, a dump truck coming off of a mountain came down the mountainside and hit this church van in the side. We went tumbling just like that. And when we came down, another car hit us a second time. So they'd taken my pulse, told my parents that I did not survive the accident. I heard a voice and the voice basically said to me, if you will preach, you can live. I responded back, what kind of a choice is that? Hey there, I'm Matthew Foley and this is ISO Insights, where God's truth grows in the midst of current culture, renewing the mind and spirit. Brian Cutshaw, Dr. Brian Cutshaw. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. How about yourself? Doing very well, doing very well. And, uh, you know, I wanted to uh, bring you in, bring you here, because being the president of ISO, I think, first of all, a lot of people have an interest in who you are as a person, as an individual. And behind everyone who starts something up, you know, what most people, most of the students are going to see is your personality as a teacher and as right. a president. And there's a whole lot of formal and business side of that. There has to be. But there's a, also a, a deep personal side to you as far as who, you, who you've been in the ministry, how you've connected to people. Uh, and I kind of wanted to dive into that in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever. We'll talk about whatever you want to. <laughs> and so the first thing is, I know a little bit about uh, your upbringing and kind of uh, how you lived life as a young person. But my understanding is, did you grow up in the hills of Tennessee? Well, kind of. Um, I was born in Greenville, Tennessee. So that's where I, it started, which is in the Appalachian Mountains. Um, um, let's see. I was, my family came to faith when I was about five years old. And by that time we had moved to Atlanta, Georgia. So, um, we lived in the outskirts of Atlanta. Then it was a little bitty, um, town called a little bitty suburb then called Smyrna. Mm -hmm. And now it's a huge suburb, but then it was just kind of a little outskirts, older homes. My dad worked for Lockheed aircraft. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad is a crippled man. He, uh, he had, um, polio when he was two years old. Wow. Yeah. So dad grew up walking on crutches and braces his entire life. And so he needed a job where he was, that he could do something that didn't demand, you know, that he could, needed to walk. So he was a key punch operator, which mm -hmm. was pre-computer. So dad basically typed on a computer uh, on a keyboard all day long and it punched holes in cards. And that was what computers used to look like. So that's what took him from Greenville to, um, Smyrna, Georgia. And I think I was four when we moved away from Tennessee. Wow. So we lived there for a while. And then whenever I was five, uh, my parents got saved. So a year mm -hmm. later. I didn't know that you, that you weren't uh, born into a safe family. No, no. My, my parents, there was a, a man by the name of Charles Clark who was doing door-to-door -door witnessing. He was a pastor. Really? He was knocking on doors. And we lived in this little um, duplex apartment. So we lived on one side, and my Aunt Frances and, and uh, her, her husband and their three kids lived on the other side. So we were mm -hmm. all there together. And um, he had knocked on our door, and we were gone. So he knocked on Aunt Frances' door and, um, and shared the gospel with her and left his card. She brought the card over to my parents, and we all went to the Smyrna Church of God uh, for the first time. And that's when they got saved. Uh, do you remember that experience? 
When I was five, I do remember some of it. I remember singing in a children's choir. I remember mm-hmm. going to children's church. Mm-hmm. And I remember we learned Bible stories for the very first time. And uh, one of the things I remember is that there was a dollar in, in one of the leaflets. So that kind of got all the kids to the kids' <laughs> choir. And you had to open it up and see who got the dollar. I got you. And I remember yeah. after kids' church, they gave you candy, which was a big deal back then because, you know, there weren't a lot. There wasn't. Was it free flowing like it is now? <laughs> so, so yeah, I remember that. I remember getting baptized. I was um, six years old when I got mm-hmm. baptized, and then I remember getting filled with the Holy Spirit when I was eight. Wow. So that was the first time. That's whenever I got filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues at the age of eight years old. And even at a young age, was the the denomination your parents saved into Pentecostalism? Yeah, it's the Church okay. of God, which is headquartered in Cleveland. So it was a Pentecostal church, and back then. It was the fastest growing in the 70s. Mm-hmm. The Church of God was the fastest growing denomination in America. Wow. Yeah. So wow. not just Pentecostal. It was just booming in those days. Man. And so, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a great experience, honestly. Um, we moved from there. My dad mm-hmm. got called to preach, and we moved from there to a little on further out in the country at a place called Dallas, Georgia. And so Dallas was way out in the country, and um, there was just a tiny little town there. Mm-hmm. Now it is a suburb of Atlanta. Now, yeah, it's, it's like <laughs> it's part of the Atlanta metroplex. The world's changed. Yeah, oh, my goodness. Yeah. So it was probably an hour and a half drive from Atlanta. Have you, uh, I, I've heard you talk about that at a young age, because of your dad's physical position he was in, you had to do a lot of hard labor, even as a young kid. So, you know, I was pushing the lawnmower at six years old. Wow. Some first graders were, you know, coming home from school and playing. I was Mm -hmm. coming home from school and working. Man. And I grew up that way. I didn't even think of life being any different. So I played with my cousins and my, I have an older brother who's Mm -hmm. almost a year older than me, not, not a full year. And then I have a younger sister who is, um, is a year and 21 days younger than me. So within a 21 day period, my birthday, my brother's birthday and my sister's birthday and my parents' anniversary all fall within 21 days. Wow. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. (laughs) So there were no birthday parties. It was just too much at one time. So we never had a birthday party. I think the first birthday party I ever remember having um, was after I got married. Really, they threw me a birthday party. Oh my! Well, what yeah. was what was what was kind of uh, your mental state with that? Were you kind of like shocked, or what was it? Just Here's so the different. Thing. You don't miss anything that you've never had, so uh, we didn't know there was anything to it. So, mm-hmm. uh, what we did was we would go out and eat at a seafood restaurant. It's a, a seafood buffet. We mm-hmm. were we were very poor, so we didn't we never went out to eat yeah. hardly ever. So that was a big deal. So on our anniversary, mom and dad's anniversary and all the three kids' birthdays, we would go out to this place. I think it was called the Hungry Fisherman, but I can't remember if that was the name of it. But it was a big seafood buffet, and it was all you can eat. Wow. So we loaded up on all the seafood we could eat, and that was what birthday was meant treat. to us. I do remember one time coming, getting off the school bus. I must have been maybe fifth grade. And mom and dad had blown up some balloons in the living room. Mm -hmm. We lived in a small little trailer. And mom and dad had blown up some balloons and put some little, um, those those little, you you wouldn't know what these were like, but we used to fly little 
airplanes that were made out of styrofoam, but they were very small. Yeah. And they had a few of those hanging from the ceiling. And mom had baked a cake. Other than that, that was wow. the only birthday celebration I ever remember that was just mm-hmm. for the kids. And we, we didn't get gifts or anything like that. It wasn't like that. We got gifts at Christmas, mm-hmm. but uh, we didn't get gifts for birthdays. We didn't really, we went out to eat. Well, I guess as much as I've known you, you've always seemed like a, first of all, obviously a very hardworking person, but uh, very uh, regimented, I'd say, very disciplined, yep. everything lined up. And one of the kind of mysteries that I've had is like, well, what kind of uh, emotional makeup, how do, you, how do you get there to where you can appreciate discipline that much? And I think it's interesting. I had a, a talk with Matt Hare, our editor, and uh, when he was on the show, he talked about, we, we had a conversation about America and how much it's changed and where oh, the culture's yeah. been. One of the things that we talked about is the golden generation and how people had just as kids come out of the Great Depression, right. they had an immense amount of responsibility, but then that gave them the ability to have a, a great amount of discipline in their life yeah. and to appreciate it. That would be my grandparents. Yeah. Yeah, they would be in that generation. And then my mom and dad, um, my my grandfather went to a, a school that all 12 grades were in one classroom. Mm-hmm. And my father uh, went to school where... Um, they would have more like three or four grades in the same classroom. And they got books. My grandfather and grandmother did not get books. They had to share books and they were left there at the school. So, um, so there, so when my dad come along, so my dad became a pastor, became Mm -hmm. a preacher and dad thinks the only way you can learn is with a book in your hand. So he preaches, you know, from the King James Bibles, (laughs) what he preaches from and, he thinks you have to have an outline and a, and a book in front of you to preach a sermon. So me, by the time I came along in school, they were using, uh, this predates you for sure, but they were using uh, film strip projectors and they were using overhead projectors wow. and they were using reel-to-reel video. Mm-hmm. So all of that stuff's antiquated now, but it was the first time we had had visual aids. Wow, so wow. even to this day, when I teach, and when I learn, it's visually. Man. So that's the reason I use screens <laughs> in everything I do. Even when I preach a sermon, I always have screens and I have pictures because to me, a picture imprints you in a way mm-hmm. that it helps you remember it. Wow. And uh, that's kind of like the reason I think I wanted to jump into so much of your of your background in your life is because oh, people, especially young people, uh, but people in general, we talk about the mystery of how somebody ends up where they are, how God takes a person yeah. and molds them through both negative, positive things that happen in life to prepare them for where they're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and so I think I'm preparing, I'm asking you about this because I have a theory that it's going to prepare us for where you are now, for the vision you have now. Yeah. And, um, well, you know, one of the questions you asked that I, I probably didn't give a, a, a good explanation for is that is where the disciplines come from in mm-hmm. my life. I think part of it is I, I do have a hard work, a strong work ethic that has come from my childhood. I mean, I like to play, but I know you have to work. Yeah. So I, I would never substitute, uh, even think that I could play during, work, during the time I'm supposed to be working. Wow. To me, it's a priority. So, um, you know, I grew up working hard. I grew mm-hmm. up working with my grandfather, who was a brick mason, um, uh, wheelbarrows full of cement. You know, that was my summer jobs with him. 
doing all the work around the house. Even to this day, I mean, I do my own landscaping and everything because I learned to do that as a kid. Wow. I mean, it was anything from clearing a field to building a fence. Mm -hmm. I just had to do it. And there must have been a sense of fulfillment in that kind of work. You I know, mean, it was a sense of necessity then. Oh, really? It's a sense of fulfillment now. Okay. Because <laughs> I can hire it done, but I would rather do it myself. I get you. Because I want yeah. it done a particular way. So I think then it was just what you're supposed to do. Yeah. You know, we, we grew up thinking everyone in the family carries their own weight. There's no, there's no freeloading here. Mm -hmm. We'd hear statements like that. I mean, you got to earn your keep. And wow. you don't hear people talk to kids that way anymore. Nowadays, kids get everything they want, a whole lot of things they don't need, and they get so much that after a while, it's very difficult for them to know how to appreciate anything because they've never been denied anything. Wow. And so in my generation, you didn't have much. So when you got something, you, were, you had a lot of gratitude. You took really good care of it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm from the generation that cleans my car every week. Uh, I ride with young people hasn't cleaned it in years. Wow. <laughs> and, but for me, I clean it every week because <clears throat> I grew up taking care of things when you don't have much. Plus, when you grew up poor, if you have something, you take good care of it because you don't know how it's got to last a long time. Wow. So all of those things, I think, put disciplines in me, even though it was more through osmosis than it was yeah. through intention. But what has carried over into my spiritual life now in ministry is that discipline is not difficult for me. Mm -hmm. uh, discipline, I, I do get up early. I, I do spend, you know, an hour or two with God. I prayed, you know, I don't, I don't boast of this stuff, but I prayed an hour and a half this morning mm -hmm. before I ever even, you know, came downstairs to even see my wife before I even started getting dressed to come oh. in. And that's, that's typical. Do, That's every day. Do you think that, uh, this is a leading question. I'm not going to be around the bush. No, go ahead. But do you think that uh, people's understanding of grace here in this nation has been colored by such an easy life where they expect God to have grace upon grace with bad decisions that they're making in their own oh life? Oh, my. But because I, it, the, the atmosphere and the climate culturally that you're describing is if somebody has, all right, I've messed up, I'm not in good standing with God, and God is having is giving me what I don't deserve, not just giving me mercy, but giving me, which is not doing to me what I do deserve, but giving me something I don't deserve. Yeah. You talked about this sense of gratitude as a child when you're given something like a gift from your parents. At ISO, we always strive to provide discounts and incentives for our students. Now, we're thrilled to announce our best value ever, the ISO All Access Pass. For just $99 per month, any student can access our entire learning platform. An ever-expanding library of fascinating, groundbreaking teaching at your fingertips for the average price of just one ISO course. There has never been such a prime opportunity to pursue your biblical education. Students in many traditional schools pay $100 to learn every day for every single course. With the All Access Pass, that amount gives you access to our entire course catalog. At ISO, you can learn from world-class teachers on a wide variety of subjects, all at your own pace. With the subscription-based model of the All Access Pass, there are no obligations to put yourself in debt for decades. If you're hungry to learn about the Word, there's never been a better value. That's countless hours of teaching and materials with no limit on how much you can learn. Now, more than ever, ISO is excited to connect the Word with the world. 
Go to isow.org to get started with the All Access Pass today. Well, you know, one of the things of my journey is I've probably done 50 missions trips in my lifetime, and I still do them. I still go to foreign countries and teach. I've built hospitals and buildings. I've built over 50 homes for pastors wow. on the mission field. So I say that to tell you that because of my heart for missions and for the, helping the poor, I've seen exactly what you're talking about. I've seen a whole different idea of grace grace over an avocado <clears throat> that you picked off of a tree for dinner, wow. uh, seeing that as grace versus someone that really messed up their life with horrible decisions mm. and feels that hyper grace <laughs> is something that, um, that they deserve. Mm. And so, yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes, um, I don't think that more is always the best. I think that sometimes less is best in certain, certain circumstances because it makes you appreciate what you have. Wow. And if you don't know the difference, there's no gratitude. You have to have a comparison. Mm -hmm. if, you've, if someone bought you a car and paid for your college and you, you didn't have to work to earn any of that, um, <clears throat> what do you have to compare it to? And I have daughters, you know, no yeah. sons. And my, my kids will even tell you, you know, dad wanted us to have a strong work ethic. So even though they both went to college and I paid for it, the, uh, we had a rule. The only way I will pay for this semester is if you work. Hmm. You're going to pay for all of your spending money, buy your clothes. I will, I will get you a car to get there, but you have to buy your own gas and all those kinds of things. So it was a shared responsibility. Yeah. I didn't want to just hand them credit cards and let them run it up and become spoiled. And, and because of that, both of, you know, both of my daughters are very, very disciplined. Mm. They both, um, n neither one of them are spendthrifts. I mean, they manage their money well. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think yeah. it worked. Isn't that, what, isn't that what God does, though? <clears throat> Even in Scripture, whenever the people of God, I mean, at first things are pretty easy on their part, you know? Right. We see they can be very passive. They don't right. have to do anything. God will part the waters. But over time, when God begins to teach his people something, he starts to require effort on their part uh, to begin to respond in faith and yes. to step out and begin to act. Well, the whole word, the root word of discipleship is discipline. Wow. Yeah. And sometimes we forget that. We think that mm -hmm. it's just following Jesus into the miracles, but it's also following Jesus into the storm. Wow. And trusting him. Mm -hmm. So following Jesus will take you to the desert to be tempted by the devil. Following Jesus will take you to the, uh, the fingertip of the Pharisees who are pointing their wow. finger in your nose. <laughs> it will take you to a cross. Ooh. It will take you to a whipping post. Mm -hmm. Following Jesus will take you all everywhere it took Jesus. It may take you there. I'm going to start tearing up now. But, <laughs> but what you have to is you, you have to keep following Jesus all the way to the resurrection. Wow. And then all the way to the ascension. And that's why we don't stop. Praise God. So man. following Christ is, is not just this journey of he gives me, you know, we have this Santa Claus view of God that, you know, if I ask, he gives it to me. Hmm. And, um, you know, one time I had an experience that, People who've heard me preach for a while will hear me talk about where the Lord told me that I practice uh, 
spiritual birth control. And I was so taken back by this. First of all, I thought, what, what does that even mean? Mm. And this is how he explained it to me. He said, all you do is say, give me, give me, give me. And I give you, give you, give you. You say, love me, love me, love me. And I love you, love you, love you. He said, it's like all you want is one night with the king. Crawl up in the bed, get everything you want, feel better, but you never do anything with it. You never conceive. Wow. Then it was almost like God stumped his foot on the ground and said, where are my children? I am a king. I must have mm -hmm. heirs. And then he said something to me I'll never forget. How dare you bring me another song before you bring me a son? Wow. And in that moment, I realized that with God, I had become that spoiled brat. I realized that I just wanted God to make me feel better. I worshiped to feel better. I prayed to feel better. And most of my prayer requests were about me and wow. the people I loved. And God was saying, okay, this is a, this is a relationship. Mm -hmm. What do I get out of this? All you do is ask and, and receive, but what are you wow. bringing me? And the only thing I want are, are children. And I realized that out of all the things God was giving to me, I was not bringing him heirs. I was not winning souls. And that one experience literally revolutionized my whole ministry. I mean, everything in me shifted and changed to where souls was the, the top priority. Wow. I, I think, uh, in fact, I can say in the biblical studies world, you know, people will talk about Paul the Apostle. Of course, he talks about works. He talks about yep. walking the Christian life and acting according to your calling. That's what I say, like to the Corinthians. He says, you're called, now start acting like it. Yeah. But a lot of people will make jokes that it's uncomfortable. Like, we want to keep on reading Paul, but we don't want to read Jesus in the Gospels. <laughs> yes, that's right. Because <laughs> Jesus will make you very, he's very confrontational. That's what's surprising. You know, the same is. one that is, is love in human form has come down in our midst, is extremely confrontational about one thing, and it's producing fruit. Yeah, you know, I think that's part of our mistake, especially as Americans. We think that love is a feeling, mm. and love is not just a feeling. Love is a commitment. And I think that when you, when you make a commitment, you fulfill the commitment even when you don't feel like it, and even when mm -hmm. you don't feel anything. You still commit to your family, to your wife. You know, for me, my wife, my kids, my grandchildren now, I commit to my family even when they irritate me. Yeah. Because I don't have to feel love to, to um, commit to love. Hmm. And I think with Christ, a lot of times, we're just looking for another euphoria. We're just looking wow. for another feel-good moment, um, a little a little uh, spiritual ecstasy. Mm -hmm. That's what we're looking for as opposed to another hallelujah hold down, as opposed to take up your cross and follow me. Wow. And I think that's where, I think that's where love is a, you know, the cross is, a, it's not just a plus sign, it's a crossroads. Wow. You know, I remember you talking about a certain crossroads in your life. You, uh, as a young man, didn't have an experience of going to a youth camp and having this yeah. very powerful, profound call to ministry. Yeah, <laughs> that wasn't right. your experience. Can you tell you no. about uh, your experience of being called to ministry? Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, I didn't. I didn't go. I went. I attended one youth camp one time whenever I was a teenager, 
and it was it was not a great youth camp. <laughs> it was in a big tent, and it was oh my goodness, wow. it was not your ideal youth camp. So I I never knew anything about that. Um, of course, I was in church all the time, revivals, small churches mostly. Mm-hmm. But my call to ministries probably is as wild of a story as I could ever tell about myself or anyone else. Um, there was this older couple in our neighborhood that needed, they were, they were in their 80s, almost 90s. And I started chopping wood for them. And they had an old car. Mm-hmm. And I had my driver's license, but no car. So I would drive them to the doctor and drive them to the grocery store. And so I became like their little chauffeur. Yeah. And the benefit for me is I got to drive the car. But um, uh, I fell in love with this old couple. And I would do all this work around their house. And they, were, they couldn't pay me. Mm-hmm. So the way they paid me was they both sat in these rocking chairs. And they would ask me to kneel on the floor and they would rock back and forth, and especially after chopping wood or something, you know, I was tired and my back was, you know, hurting. And they would just pray one prayer over and over and over. God, make a preacher out of him. And yeah. I did. I hated it. I would say, no, God, don't listen to a word they're saying. They don't know what they're talking about. Did you think it could happen? No, I didn't think it would ever happen. Whoa. They saw something huh. in me that I didn't see in myself and... Um, they understood something that I understand now. I wrote a book about it called Bows and Arrows. And it's about if the bow doesn't shoot an arrow, it has no future. Mm-hmm. The bow cannot go forward. It can only launch an arrow. Wow. And the arrow, according to Psalms 127, is the younger generation. So they had to release one more arrow for their ministry mm-hmm. to go forward. And they were almost 90. And they knew. they had. They, he couldn't preach anymore. They were both. He was in a wheelchair. Um so anyway, one day he was having a heart attack, and my dad came and picked him up in the church van. My mom was sitting in the front with my dad. I was in the middle, and this his name was Brother Allison, J.N. Allison. So Brother and Sister Allison, her name was Hulda. Uh, they were in the back seat, mm-hmm. and he was dying. He was having a heart attack and dying, and we knew that. There was no ambulance there, so we were taking him into, at that place, Newport, Tennessee. We were living in Cosby, Tennessee, and we were taking him to the Newport Hospital. And on the way there, a dump truck coming off of a mountain came down the mountainside and hit this church van in the side. Wow. We went tumbling just like that. And when we came down, another car was coming up over, around a curve and up over a hill and didn't see the wreck, hit us the second time. Whoa. So brother and sister Allison were immediately killed. Both of them were instantly died. And the ambulance driver went and told my parents, who threw mm-hmm. them through the windshield, went and told them in the ambulance as they were pulling off that no, there were no other survivors. So they'd taken my pulse, told my parents that I did not survive the accident. So they just assumed that three people in the back were dead, me and the Allison's. Yeah. I was 17 years old. Wow. And this is what I remember. Um, I remember a, a voice. I didn't see anything, so I didn't see a bright light. And that kind of concerns me a little bit. <laughs> I've always heard you see the bright light, you know. Oh, my. I didn't see the bright light. I didn't see any flames either. So, you know, uh, that's good, too. But um, what I did is I, I heard a voice. And the voice basically said to me, if you will preach, you can live. And what I responded back in this state of mind I was in, or death, I'm not sure what was going on really, I 
responded back, what kind of a choice is that? I didn't want to preach. I was running from God. My wow. dad was a poor preacher my whole life. I did not want to repeat that life yeah. again, to be honest with you. He was in the holiness movement. That's all I knew. I didn't want that. And I didn't want I didn't want the the strictness. I didn't want the harshness. Wow. And I didn't want I didn't want to preach the way he preached. I, I just didn't want any of that. Mm-hmm. So I questioned the voice. What kind of choice is that? And the voice spoke back to me and said, it's the only one you have. And I remember distinctly saying in this state of fluctuation that I was in, wherever I was at, okay, then I will preach. If that's the only way I can live, then I will preach. And then the next thing I remember, they were pulling me out of the wreck. Uh, They had taken the jaws of life and lifted all the wreckage off of me and Mm -hmm. pulled me out of the wreck. And I lived. You know, as far as you've always, uh, I've been blessed to have a lot of moments where you've given me advice or told me uh, about ways to handle situations. And uh, whenever you've had those moments, your perspective on God is clearly, seen through that, is a very loving, a very kind, uh, can be severe, obviously. You know, there's, yeah. there's a warning of don't, don't push the grace of God. That's right. But... Uh, God is love. God is kind. Yeah. And from this experience, it sounds like that you had you hadn't come to that realization of God yet. You didn't fully understand God to be that way. Well, I I didn't. No, I grew up in a in a church that didn't talk about the love of God. It was all about trying to avoid hell and sin. Mm. So the holiness movement got deep, deep into legalism, to where the rules were more important than anything. And the only way to please God is to be holy. And so holiness became the optimal word, but it was measured by things like the length of your hair, the the kind of clothing you wore. Mm You know, if they would have quit measuring hair and started measuring tongues, none of them would would have ever passed the test because... Everyone, uh, everyone judged each other. I mean, wow. that was the one thing I remember is that everyone was harsh on each other and, and basically judged them. So um, that sounds very similar to like in Paul's day, people saying, no, you can't be uh, uncircumcised and follow yeah. Christ. You can't wear this clothes. You have to have your it was a lot beard like grown that. out. You know? So, you know, I grew up, even if the, the boys and girls could not swim together, obviously, in mm-hmm. that environment, but even if we did swim at all, we couldn't take our shirt off and we could not wear short pants. Wow. So I would swim in a lake or a creek with long blue jeans on and a shirt and almost drown those blue <laughs> jeans. You can't hardly kick at all. It's like an anchor, man. It was. And that's how we grew up swimming. I mean, wow. I, I swim fine now, but it's <laughs> a wonder. You built up that strength. I guess I did. <laughs> Just, you, you had to learn to be strong and be a good swimmer. So I, I think for me, that holiness movement and... I don't blame any of my teachers, including my, my dad, because they were doing what they thought was right. Mm-hmm. You know, they were following God with an honesty that I'm following God with now, but maybe with a different enlightenment. And who knows if it didn't take that to get us where we are, because we have removed ourselves so much from the idea of holiness now Wow! that maybe it took that to... It took that swinging of the pendulum mm-hmm. in that direction to even give us a reference point. 